Well, good morning. It is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Especially since Duke beat UNC by 20 yesterday. Not many of you care about that, but I like to make it known every time it happens. Sometimes people are like, oh, it was a great game. It was a close game. You know what I consider a great game? The team that I want to win crushing the other team with no contest. That's what I like to see. Yes. And this season, Duke is crushing UNC, and the Lord is good. Um, We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 this morning um, to talk about the other things that matter in church. Um, Genesis chapter 37. Today we're starting a new series, and I'm really excited about this series. I realize every time there's a new series, whoever's preaching is like, I'm really excited about this series. But I really am. I'm really excited about this series because we're walking through the life of Joseph. Now, there are a couple things that I need to tell you as we jump into this series this morning. The most important thing is that the life of Joseph is a building story. So our team is coming together to preach through this scene by scene. We're looking at the life of Joseph, and we're asking the question, how do we cling to hope in difficult situations? The life of Joseph is an incredibly relevant story, especially just considering the state of life for many of us for the last couple years. But there are a couple of things. Some of you know the story, some of you don't. First off, we want to let each scene of this story be its own scene. So don't read ahead. If you know the story, uh, you can do your daily devotions in another part of the Bible for the next six weeks, all right? Don't read ahead in the story. Here's the second thing. You're going to want to make sure that you are present for each section of this series because this is an unfolding narrative, and each scene builds to what God is revealing to us in the conclusion. So if you miss a Sunday, if you're out of town, you're going to want to make sure you go back and listen to the podcast, all right? Each section of this series is going to be crucial. Now, that doesn't mean that if you missed one, that Sunday's not going to make sense, all right? You can still invite a friend, and it'll be their first time in the middle of this series. Each sermon will be relevant on its own. But if you want to see what this whole series is leading to, then you're going to want to make sure that you're present or that you're participating in each week, all right? Awesome. So, Genesis chapter 37, we are going to start reading in verse 1. It says this. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, When suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. And said, what is this dream you had? 
Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Let's pray. God, as we always do when we come to your word as a community, we ask that you would speak. Your name is the only name that matters this morning. Your word is the only thing that we need to hear. So any of my ideas or thoughts, let those fall to the ground. Let your truth be what's remembered this morning. Let us walk away knowing Jesus better. Amen. I feel like I have recently become a dad. Um, my son's almost six. I've been a father for a long time, but I've recently become a dad. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, um, I know a lot more about World War II than I have ever known in the past. Like, I've gotten super interested in old wars. Um, I was, like, looking online the other day, and Crocs and socks with sandals just started to look more appealing. It's kind of out of nowhere. Um, I just thought about it. Like, next time I'm up here, I might be up here in Crocs. Who knows? I know they're kind of, like, making the loop again, but in my mind, they're still dad shoes. Um, my, my jokes have gotten categorically worse, just like categorically worse. I think you can ask the ministry team here. My jokes have gotten significantly, significantly worse over the last years, and I'm super into smoking meat, and I'm not even ashamed about that. I love that, all right? In fact, if anybody wants barbecue, come over to my house. I'm always looking for a reason to break out the smoker, okay? I just, like, I feel like I'm really coming into my own as a dad, you know what I mean? Um, this kind of happens. You've seen the state, I think it's the, the progressive commercials where it's like, we can't help you from becoming your parents. Like, those are so accurate, right? Like, I, there were so many things that when I was a kid, I was like, I will never do that. I will never say that. I promised myself when I was a child that I would never use the phrase because I said so. And then I became a youth pastor and spent a lot of time with middle schoolers. And I was like, because I said so, Kyle, shut up. Right? It just, it just happened. Right? Like, we, we become our parents. There are patterns, right? And those patterns become even more obvious when you start to have kids of your own because now you've started to become like your parents and then you've got these kids living in your house and they're adorable and they're cute and they're wonderful and they have these really, really annoying traits that really just make you want them to go away. The, the traits, not the kids. Calm down. The traits. And then you realize that there are only two ingredients in a child and you're 50% of them which means they got these traits from somewhere, right? Like there are patterns. You start, and in an ideal scenario, in a healthy family, the, the best case scenario, and I wish, I hope to be, become self-aware enough to continually take advantage of this, but we notice these patterns in our kids and it moves us to become empathetic, right? Oh, I remember what it was like when I was that age. I remember what I needed to hear in that situation, or I remember what I was experiencing, I remember what those emotions are like, right? Because as a parent, the ideal, the goal is for us to empower our kids to go beyond where we are, right? We wanna see our kids not limited by the things that limited us, but empowered to grow beyond us. Some people say it like this, we want our ceiling to be their floor. We wanna empower them to go higher and go farther. That's the way a parent ideally looks at the patterns that we see in the life of our kids. Now, this story that we just read is the introduction to the life of Joseph. This section of the story is the introduction. So the author is showing us themes, showing us patterns, and introducing characters that are going to be crucial to the entire story. What we see happening here sets the tone and sets the tension 
for the entire rest of the life of Joseph. And in this story, we see family patterns. If you were to scroll back through the life of Genesis, what you would see is that the things causing tension and the things causing problems in the story, this is not the first time that they've been part of the story of this family. This isn't the first time that a younger brother has stepped up. This was a culture where the oldest was expected to carry on the family line and to carry on the family authority. But all the way back to Abel, God consistently chose who was available, not who was expected. God consistently chose who was ready, not who was culturally appropriate. God went to who was available, not who was expected. In fact, Jacob himself was a younger brother. Joseph's, Joseph's father was a younger brother who manipulated and he schemed and he took his way to the top and he inherited the family name. This isn't the first time dreams have appeared in the story. In fact, consistently throughout scripture, throughout the book of Genesis, dreams mark God moving in some significant way. In fact, Jacob had a really significant dream and they built an altar to to commemorate the place that it happened. Their great-grandfather Abraham was a dreamer. The covenant that God has established that this family would be a family that blesses all nations, it was established through visions and through dreams. There are patterns in this story. Consistently, we've seen throughout Scripture what happens when favoritism comes in a family and tension and strife. This, the author is showing us patterns that prove God is up to something. But here's what I want to offer you this morning. That in this introduction, what we see is our natural human reaction to God's movement in our lives. When we see the patterns of God's movement, naturally we respond with what's in it for me or what's my place. We put our hope in me and for me instead of in God's purposes for his people. Now, there are three main characters in the story, and I think these three main characters show us different places that we can be standing in relation to God's movement, different ways that this same pattern interacts. When we see God move and our natural reaction pulls us towards selfishness, there are different places we might find ourselves. The first is like Joseph. Now, Joseph tends to get painted in two different ways. When we look at Joseph, people either assume that he's kind of this arrogant, manipulative kid who tattled on his brothers, and we're like, listen, he's got this, like, fancy robe, he's flexing on his family, and we're like, listen, hate is a strong word, but I can see why they didn't like him, right? Or Joseph gets painted as this innocent kid who didn't know any better, right? He's just doing his best, and his dad gave him a coat, and the answer is somewhere in the middle. Here's what we know about Joseph. We know that Joseph was 17. Now, in this culture, 17 was more like 25. 17 didn't mean junior in high school. 17 meant starting your career. So Joseph knows the job, and he's out with his brothers, and he sees them doing something that's not good for the family. So he takes a bad report back to his father. In fact, there was something so significant about what Joseph did that he gets the job of reporting on his brothers later. See, he's showing himself as having some sort of potential. His brothers were keeping the sheep. He was thinking about the family. And after that, he gets this special coat. And the story tells us that he gets this coat because he was the son of his father's old age. Now, that, that's not just because his father was really old. That goes back 
to his father's wives. This Jacob's family is a lot more like a Big Brother house than like Hallmark Channel. It's very complicated. Jacob married two women, but he only wanted to marry one woman. He got tricked into marrying the first woman. And I don't know how it happens either, but he got tricked into marrying the wrong woman. After he married those two women, he, women, he then took on each of their maidservants to become his wives. So he had 12 sons and one daughter with four women, but only one woman he actually loved, right? This is a great soap opera. And he, he uh, loves Rachel, but Rachel's barren. So for a long time, Jacob's having sons, but what he's hoping to happen, in this culture, the best thing a wife could give to her husband doesn't happen. And doesn't happen. So by the time Jacob and Rachel had given up, Joseph comes along. Joseph is the son of Jacob's old age. He's the son of when he had given up on the thing that he was always looking for. So Joseph sees this son that he loves standing out, standing up for the family. And he gives him this robe. Now we translate this as a multicolored robe. That's what's gotten famous. The Hebrew here literally means palms and soles. What we know for sure is that this was a robe that was long-sleeved, went all the way down to his hands, all the way down to his ankles. One commentator described this as the difference between white collar and blue collar. So the way we should think of this robe is Joseph's brothers are going to work in the fields. Joseph's brothers are getting up in the morning and they're putting on coveralls to go get dirty while Joseph gets up in the morning and he puts on a suit to go work in his dad's office. Every time his brothers look at him, they see the favorite. Every time Joseph looks at his brothers, he sees he's deserving this. He deserves it because he's talented. Now, there are some of us who, if we're, we're willing to be honest with ourselves, we might not say this out loud. When we look at ourselves, we acknowledge that we've got skills. You've got a gifting. Maybe you're looking at yourself and you're saying, I am, I'm a little bit ahead of people my age. I'm, I'm really talented in my job. I'm really talented in my field. Maybe you worked hard and you earned it yourself. Or maybe you had connections. What, for whatever reason, you're looking at your life situation. You're saying, I'm a little bit ahead. I'm a little bit standing out. See, this is where Joseph's at. And if that's you, if that's your situation, then here's what I want to offer you are in a place in life that's got a significant amount of potential and a significant amount of danger. What we see in Joseph's story, it's consistent in Scripture. It's consistent throughout human history, and we've seen it happen in our lives, is that if we find ourselves in a place where we have talent, where we've got influence, where we've got resources, the greatest temptation is to take those resources and use it for ourselves to build our kingdom and not God's kingdom, to build our good and not the greater good, to put our hope in me and for me instead of in God's purposes and for his people. And what I want to tell you, friends, is that what God has given you, the skills, resources, the position that you have, that's a wonderful thing. That's not something to be ashamed of, but it's something to be incredibly, incredibly careful with. Because if what God's given you is used for his kingdom, it will always lead to the good of his people. But if what God has given you is used for yourself, it will always lead to destruction and damage. It will always lead to repeating selfish cycles. Some of us in this room, if you're honest with yourself, that might be where you're at. And you're facing this temptation. Is it for me? Is it, is it for my protection? Is it for my good? Or is this for the glory of God, for the purposes of God, and for the good of his people? 
Now, there's some of us here that if you're honest with yourself, you might resonate with Jacob's bro- with uh, Joseph's brothers. Can I tell you all something? There have been so many times in my life that I have looked at other people and I have said, if I had what they had, then of course my life would be different. Man, if my family had had that kind of money, then of course I could have done that. If I had that last name, if I had those connections, if the chips had just fallen a little bit differently for me, but why does it always happen for other people? Anybody else ever felt like that? You look at the world around you and you're like, everybody else gets a break, but I don't. Everybody else gets a break. Life just doesn't seem fair. Now, I want to take a sidebar here and say something. I believe this is really important. There are those of us who look at our life, and it doesn't seem fair. And there are those of us who look at the world around us, and it is not just. And there's a difference between justice and fairness. We live in a world, and we live in a country where there have been people who have individually and generationally been treated unjustly. And where there is justice, where there is injustice, it is the responsibility of followers of Jesus to fight for justice. Justice, empathy, and equity is the responsibility of believers. And it's easy for us to say, I wasn't the offender, so it's not my responsibility. But I need to say this as clearly as possible. The onus for justice is on the follower of Jesus, not the offender. The responsibility of justice falls on the shoulders of every believer, not just the offender. There are those in our world who have been treated unjustly. But for a lot of us, we look at the world around us, and we see other people who seems like they have a head start in life. We're the brothers looking at Joseph. And whether they deserve it or whether they, or whether they don't, we look at what it seems like, what it feels like God is doing in someone else's life. And do you know what it plants? It plants bitterness and frustration. Hatred becomes the norm rather than God's purposes for his people. It always leads to destruction. Listen, if I have a lot... If I've got a lot of skills and I've got a lot of resources and I'm honest with myself and I say, man, I'm just a little bit ahead, I'm really good at my job, and I use that for myself, it leads to destruction. But if I look at that other person and I say, that person, that's not fair. Why do they have what I don't have? It still leads to destruction. Why? Because if my hope is in me and for me, my hope is fragile. But if my hope is in God's purposes for his people, my hope is stable because my hope is not based on the consistency or sustainability of my skills. My hope is based on the faithfulness of God, the patterns that have proven his character. Every time our eyes go to other people and we say, why don't I have what they have? Comparison leads to bitterness and bitterness kills hope. Bitterness kills hope. It's just a different manifestation of having my hope in me and for me. The question I'm asking in life is, what's in it for me? What's my place? Lastly, the character in this story is Jacob. And what we see in the life of Jacob is something, if if you've been around the church for a while, then you've seen this do a lot of damage. See, Jacob is a father. Jacob knows the pattern. When we look at Jacob, we, know, we see somebody who knows the significance of dreams. He knows what it's like to be a younger brother. He's seen division. He's seen the damage that's done by people playing favorites. 
but he's protecting his power rather than empowering his people. See, Jacob is the one who should have known better. Jacob is the one who should have looked at Joseph and said, I think God is up to something. The last time a younger brother was having dreams, God was up to something. And we can all imagine how different this story would be if Jacob's response would have been, hey, Joseph, this arrogance thing, you need to calm it down, but let's talk about these dreams. Your arrogance is causing division in the family, but these dreams mean God is up to something. But that's not how Jacob responds. No, Jacob's response is, I'm not going to bow to you. No, you're not going to take my place at the table. You're not going to take my influence and my authority. No, I've got what I've got. See, we know Jacob knew that God was up to something because it says he kept it in mind. Jacob knew something was going on, but rather than saying, what's God doing for his people? He said, I'm holding to my place. We've seen this happen over and over and over again when individuals, churches, followers of Jesus... Christians and non say, rather than empowering who's next, I'm going to cling to what I have. We've heard the stories of, of, no, we're not going to change our music style. No, we're not going to change the color of our carpet. No, we're not going to change the way we do things. We spiritualize these decisions all we want, but it all comes down to a simple thing. I'm clinging to the place I have at the table. I'm clinging to the authority that I have. And this is important because this is a vision piece for the fold. This is something we have to cling to right now. We all know here that we are a community making disciples of the millennial generation. But there's going to come a point a lot sooner than we would like where the way we do things isn't relevant anymore. There's going to come a point a lot sooner than we like when millennials aren't really the primary need anymore. And we're going to get to a place where we're faced with a decision to say what we have and how we do it. We worked for this. Or we're going to come to a place where we make a decision that says everything that we have, let's give it away. It's not for us. It's not for our reputation. It's not for our authority. We have to be people who decide to give away what we have rather than cling to our power. We have to be people who are willing to empower the ones who come after rather than building ourselves up on a pedestal. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. I want to turn your attention to verse chapter 2, or to verse 2 as we close. The original author does something really important at the beginning of the story. Actually, the author creates a heading right before the author tells us the story of Joseph, the introduction of the story of Joseph. There's a heading that tells us what this story is actually about. 37 verse 2 says, this is the account of Jacob's family line. In other words, this is the life of Joseph but it's not his story. It's his life, but it's not his story. This is the story of Jacob's family, which is actually just a generational chapter in the story of God's rescue plan for humanity. This is the question that we have to wrestle with. It's my life, but whose story am I living? Am I living a story in which me and my, in which my hope is in myself and my place? Or am I living a story in which my hope is in God's 
purpose for his people. Who is my story about? This will, this is the primary thing affecting the way we respond to God's patterns of movement in our life. If our stories are about ourself, our name, our reputation, our hope, then our stories will always end in ourself. But if our story is about God's purpose for his people, then we're living a story that lasts. Our hope is secure. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you that you invite us into a into a story that's bigger. Thank you that you invite us into a life that's stable. Thank you that our hope is not built on our talent, on our skills, on our resources. Our hope is built on you and on your faithfulness. God, as we continue studying the life of Joseph over the next few weeks, let this show us the story of your faithfulness, the story of your consistency, and the story that you've invited us into, your purposes for your people. We love you, Lord. Amen.